uh, with another episode of the Repview podcast. We've got Dustin Abney from from Redgate. Dustin, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, to be here today. Awesome. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, kick it off with just a little bit about your background. I know you played college soccer, but let's hear a little bit about you and <laughs> what makes Dustin Dustin. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I did a little bit of play, a little bit of soccer in college. Um, you know, I live here in Austin, Texas, been here for about eight years now. Um, so probably not the first person in tech sales you've spoken to living in this area. Uh, been in the database technology space for about, about eight years. But, you know, personally, uh, first and foremost, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. That's, that's job number one, priority number one for me always. Um, and just the uh, a big fan of spending out time outdoors with my family, hiking, camping, big music fan, anything Grateful Dead related. You got me. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, uh, it's been an exciting time here in Austin late last eight years, and um, yeah, looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other thing I noticed, which I don't think we've talked to anybody like this, and I think it's wild that you've done fifteen ultra marathons. I mean, that's kind of sales in a nutshell. So. <laughs> How, how do you feel like that's impacted your life? Oh yeah. It's um, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in spending a lot of time in the deep end. You know, it's uh, you, you learn a lot about yourself when you're out on a trail for 24 to plus hours. And uh, you, you see some pretty, pretty dark, you go to some pretty dark spaces. Uh, but you know, when you come out in the end, you become, um, you're more resilient. You you find out something new about yourself every time you kind of go into that deep end. And it's always made me a better person in the end. Uh, and it's always been made me a better seller and a better um, kind of professional because you've reached some adversities physically, mentally, emotionally, that if you can get through that, you know, getting hung up on my customers easy. It doesn't bother you nearly as much. Yeah. Did you ever uh, did you ever do the Barkley marathons? That was a crazy, <laughs> crazy Netflix documentary. No, no, there are there are levels to the game, and I am nowhere close to that level, man. That is, <laughs> that's some serious business. I'll I'll gladly watch that one from my from my couch. Ryan, have you seen that? I have not. That's it's it's, it's like this, you know more about it, Dustin. The one that you you yeah. you could talk about that. Yeah, so it's it's called uh, the race that eats. That eats the young, I believe, is kind of the the model yep. behind it. And yep. It's in, I believe, um, Tennessee. Yep. It's a mountain course, and it's five loops. It's called a marathon, but I believe the total mileage it's it's well over that. It's over a hundred miles, I think. Um, and it's just many years that nobody finishes. And it's it's just a very interesting concept. You show up, you don't know what time the race starts. The director blows a conch shell. Let you I've know you have to it. wake. You wake up and start. He smokes, a, lights a cigarette to start the race. It's just, it's bizarre. And it's it the is, one that's like, I, it's like secret. It's hard to even understand like how to get access to it or something. Trail. Yeah, yeah. You have to write a letter to try to get accepted. You have to bring yeah. something. You know, he's done socks, t-shirts, cigarettes to get acceptance into it. Um, there's no so much parallels with sales. It's the same thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. So like, like, how do you get into your prospect? And then, and then yeah. you gotta be resilient. <laughs> Navigate you go to a lot your of way. He's yeah, hated exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Now the whole time you were talking, I'm like, yeah, that's like, you know, you can't get accepted. You have to write, you have to take multiple approaches, you know, yeah. find out who the champion is, who's the DM. Know your audience. 
Yeah. And then when they let you in, it's a world of pain for a while. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you hit the finish line. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. For what? For what? Yeah. To get the win. Pride. Yeah. To say yeah. I did it. Yeah. Winning isn't finishing. Of course. To say Positive. I did it. That sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about Redgate. What, what, what yeah. brought you Redgate? You've had a good run. Yeah. So I've, uh, I've been at Redgate going on, it'll be, I think six years, uh, at the beginning of the year in February or March. So yeah, it's been a good run. Um, you know, when I joined Redgate, I was just at a bit of a crossroads uh, of my career of, you know, I just left an organization and was joining a new one when this opportunity presented itself to me. And at first it was just the opportunity that really got me excited. Um, you know, it kind of, Redgate was going through a transformation at that time. They had decided to double down on the a the Amer region and launch a new office. So the role that I took at Redgate was to be an account executive and was to be part of their first hire of this new class. And it just kind of had this really cool vibe of a startup kind of mentality of it's a new office, it's a new region, it's got this huge growth potential. But at the same time, you had the backing of a 15-year-old company. Um, and so the more I kind of got into the interview process with my, uh, the, the gentleman who's going to lead the office and, uh, learning more about the technology, it just seemed like a really good fit for me, but, but really what sold me was the, the history of Redgate. Um, you know, at the time they were 15 years old, they're very successful. They've never taken a penny of VC funding or private equity. It's hundred percent, a bootstrapped organization still are today, um, very financially sound. And it was just, it was just such a unique, you know, thing to hear of the way that company operates in comparison to all the other companies um, that I had talked to and interviewed with and worked for in the past that it just was, it was, it almost looked like this diamond in the rough that I said, you know, I think with the right amount of pressure and polishing and the right people, I think this office that they're building in Austin and what they're trying to do on Amer. Um, has massive upside and big potential. And, and, and I took the bet and six years later, the, the gamble paid off and it's allowed me to move into, you know, leadership positions and, you know, work, you know, deals and do things in business that I'd, I didn't think was possible for me at the time. So um, yeah, it was just a really interesting organization and where they were in their journey. And, um, you know, we're at a pretty pivotal part of our, our journey now moving into 2023 that's got me just as excited as it was six years ago awesome i see you, you went um so where you are now managing the enterprise the east enterprise team uh you had a stint in there for a year after you were a highly successful seller uh and you uh you kind of spun up the bdr right. uh, team there it looks like talk, talk a little bit about kind of were you thinking that could be a path for you kind of running BDR teams? Did you always want to get back to the, the kind of the enterprise side or was it just a, it was a, a big need and you were tapped to talk a little bit about that, that process. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, a little bit of both there of what you said in terms of um, I, I, I always wanted to get back into the enterprise space. I in no way um, had a long-term goal of staying in business development and leading business development teams. Uh, at that time, Redgate was transitioning to a new, a new model of named account selling and building out a new team um, that was gonna be focused on our most strategic accounts. Part of that was the creation of a BDR team. And 
I had been talking with my director about my upward mobility and getting into management of um, of a selling team in the future. And it kind of worked out to where I have a goal of getting into management. I didn't have the management experience. Redgate identified there's a gap in the business of somebody who knows our business and they felt could step in and build this BDR team from the ground up. Um, so it's kind of one of those two paths just happened across at the right time where it met my long-term goals of wanting to explore management as an opportunity, and it was going to fill the gap for the business. So um, I, I took the role with the intention of starting the BDR program, leading it for a year or two, but was very transparent with my leadership that it was intended to be kind of a stepping stone to get me in a position to get back managing full cycles reps, because my passion is more in the full sales cycle and working, you know, with more complex sales cycles, helping uh, work sellers um, kind of navigate deals, closing deals. And it's, it's just what I'm more passionate about. And that's how the plan uh, was drafted. And lucky for me, we're able to stick to it. Awesome. What, um, yeah. what was your internal engine that was getting you, that was telling you that you wanted to go into management? Yeah, for me, it was something um, that I, I wanted to explore more than anything. I wasn't you know, a thousand percent sold that that's where my my career would be of, of management and leadership only. Uh, but I'm, I'm a firm believer in you, know, you don't know necessarily until you try. Um, and for me, I've, I know that as I was an individual contributor as an AE, I was still leading these pods and I was helping people while they were ramping and I was help coaching them deals. And I just found that one of my key passions is coaching. I really enjoy and thrive when I'm when I feel like I'm helping other people succeed. Um, it's something that really motivates me. And I know part of frontline sales management, you know, it's coaching. It's being there to support your reps. It's helping them kind of find their way forward and helping navigate, helping kind of keep the guardrails in place without being over directive and doing the job for them. Um, and I got a little bit of taste of that as an IC as I was managing the pod and kind of leading new sellers on their journey. And that's kind of what's when I started to really get that, that itch for coaching. And that's what still drives me today um, as a manager is, you know, I'm, it's, it's coaching. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what I love to do. And it's kind of what I always try to make the number one priority in my management role. Where did, where did that come from? The desire to want to coach? Um. You know, I, I mean, I, it may go back into when I was younger and I've kind of always coached. I coached little league teams when I was in high school with my dad, you know, we didn't have a kid on the team, but we coached little league teams. Um, you know, I've coached people in soccer, private lessons in the past. I've just, I've always had this, 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 this passion and I like watching other people win. Um, I think I like watching people win just as much, if not more than when I win myself. Um, I just get a, a great amount of satisfaction and in, in knowing that, you know, at the end of the day, I don't I don't need my name in the spotlight. Um, it was cool. Right. Closing biggest deals in companies, histories, breaking records. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, but when I can see somebody, you know, have a year that is just blows it out and they're able to go, you know, meet life goal X because of what they did in business. It's just I just like to be able to know that. You know, nobody knows it, but you played a part in that. And it's, and it's, it just, it just keeps me motivated to do it. Yeah. I think what's interesting is, um, you know, people do know it though. I think that's where, you know, like 
your you are like this is what I always used to tell managers first line managers is like that is you winning right like that is a right. reflection of you as the coach when you have a team of, yeah. of people right as a as a former sales leader myself um you know that that's I, I I had a similar thought I enjoyed winning and then you enjoy seeing other people that enjoy their team winning knowing that they're winning, right? You are winning. Right. And then me as a senior leader, uh, that's my winning, right? And it all, it all flows, right. flows up from there. So I think that's a great, uh, that's a great way to approach it. Not everybody feels like that. And, and that doesn't mean it's bad either. That it just, it, right. you know, that, that's not, there's nothing wrong with wanting to just continue to win yourself and win deals and be really successful. Right. Those are, those, that's a great path too, but um, it's it's great that you're able to identify that about yourself and then and then act on it and take that take that initiative. Yeah. What what I was trying to dig out was were you gonna mention money? Because I think a lot of people know that management isn't always the path to more money. Like what was the biggest deal? You hit some accelerators, like the like oh, yeah. team blowing it out is less likely than you as a rep, especially that's why you got the management. Like so I was trying to dig that out. So it's it sounds like there's yeah. like this intrinsic thing there. It's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Brian, you're up. Uh, well, I was just going to touch on that. Um, the, uh, the, the money thing. It's like when you get to a certain level of leadership. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the compensation is good, but like you just can't blow out your, it's really hard to blow out your number, right? Like, right. You, you know, that, that individual enterprise rep, when you close the largest deal in company history, right? There's a there's a meaningful commission check that you get from that, and you don't get that as yeah. a manager. You'll do well, yeah. um, so you're kind of like maybe the next hope is like I have some exit strategy down the road, my company or whatever. So, um, yeah. So I think I guess um, we can pivot to to you're talking about you love seeing people win. Um, you know, there, there's there's certainly a coaching element to it. There's also a raw material element to it right mm-hmm. which is you know good great coaches can can succeed and fail based on the ability or inability to identify talent right and build your team right. your team is gonna your team is gonna look different in two years than it does right now there's gonna be people that peel off for many and various reasons and you're gonna bring on new people uh to backfill or if you grow the team um, let's maybe pivot a little bit into kind of one, one of the core rep view podcast topics, which is, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe let's talk, let's, let's go down the path of, um, you know, what, what are you looking for? Like, it may, we'd love to hear about the interview process kind of mechanically too, but, but mm-hmm. also, uh, maybe we can start with like, how do you, how do you think about talent? Um, and what traits are you looking for and how do you suss that out kind of thing? Yeah, I think there's, you know, when it comes to selling, I think it's, you know, the way I kind of think about it is like a matrix almost. There's there's the skills that you have to have um, or there's the skills that can be coached. Um, and then there's the wills, right? And so what I look for out of, out of people is you, you don't necessarily have to have all the skills to step into a role, uh, but there are a lot of requirements around the wills that I would look for over the skills because there's some things that you can't coach um, at the end of the day. You know, I, I can coach someone how to strategically look at an account, research, build account plans, shape prospecting strategies, all of those things. Um, 
the will to to be patient and the will to uh, understand the process of strategic selling and the will to show up day in and day out and face adversity and be able to to prevail in that that is those are things that are really hard to coach um so kind of one of the things that we prescribe to at redgate um it's kind of a theme across a lot of the managers i work with is um you know there's a book called the ideal team player by patrick lencioni um, and if you're not familiar with that, he kind of breaks down what the ideal team players should look like. Um, and it's three things. You're humble, you're hungry, and you're smart. Now, you can kind of put your own definition to all three of those things, and you can go by his definition, but I kind of have my own definition of those three things. And, you know, when I say hungry, I'm not talking about, okay, this is this is the grind, this is the the hustle culture, and you're going to do 100 dials a day, and you're going to show me you're hungry. Like, no, what I'm looking for is somebody who is hungry in terms of being a self-starter, somebody who shows me that they're motivated to succeed, that they are, they're going to take their development, and they're going to take ownership, they're going to hold themselves to a high standard. For me, that's hungry. You know, when I think about somebody that's humble, you know, this is somebody who isn't going to put themselves above the team. I'm looking for people who can tell me a story about how they contribute to the team. You know, a question I like to ask sellers is put aside the revenue and pipeline that you're going to be responsible for. What does good contribution to the business look like to you? If you were to tell me you are successfully contributing to my team, set aside revenue and pipeline, what does that look like to you? Because I seek to understand, like, where does somebody feel like they can add business, add value to our business outside of that? How much of a team player are they going to be, um, and how humble are they? in some of these responses can be can be interesting. Um, and then smart, you know, we kind of say at Redgate, you know, we don't hire dumb people. Uh, that's one thing I love about Redgate. Every person I feel like I've worked with is way smarter than me, um, and that's a blessing. And uh, probably says something about me, but um, it, it's something where, you know, I just, I want people that not book smart, right. But people who just kind of have that inclination of, of being able to figure things out. Uh, there's, there's, you know, not necessarily just smart in sales, uh, but people who just, you can tell that they're intelligent people, they have problem solving skills and they just have that level of smartness that they're going to be able to step in and, and figure things out as long as they have the right support system around them. So I think that's kind of what I look for out of somebody to join my team. And I think that would align pretty well across the different teams at Redgate. Yeah. What? So let me, let me dig out on one, one or two points. Yeah. Uh, what does good contribution look like setting aside revenue and pipeline? I mean, what, what, what what's an example of a good, you know, what have you heard that stood out to you? Uh, and if you're asking candidates this, right, I guess, you know, it's, it's pseudo hypothetical, but also they can put themselves in their most recent roles. But what, what's yeah. uh, what's what's something that sounds good to you? What, what does that sound like? Yeah, I mean, I've had like some of the best answer when candidates, you know, tell a story about how they identified a gap in, in the business on the commercial side and that they took ownership to say, hey, I've, I've identified that that this gap in and they come with a fresh idea because one thing that I look for um, in my, my candidates coming, you know, external and not just internal promotions is I want somebody to bring fresh ideas. I want somebody to look at what we're doing and challenge that. I don't, I don't expect somebody just to come in and, and say, um, 
you know, I'm here business as usual, let's go. I want somebody to come in that says, hey, my contribution is, you know, I expected my first six months to, to actually influence the way that we sell at Redgate because I have experience selling in this manner that you don't have experience. You know, Dustin, you've been at Redgate six years. You know, I've been at this company for three years and this company for three years. I hope somebody comes in and challenges me and saying, hey, man, you got the blinders on. You've been in Redgate bubble for too long. This is how the outside world is doing things. Have y'all thought about this? You know, I want people who aren't the lone wolves, people who tell stories about how they've they've helped other people on their team or how they've built tighter alignment with marketing and how they've done different, you know, areas of partnering with solution engineering. You know, I'm really, I really like the stories of people who are confident and comfortable challenging individuals, because I think at the end of the day, that's what builds a healthy team and a healthy culture is having a group that is as confident and comfortable and challenging each other's ideas and decisions. Um, and then ultimately, you know, even if it's a um, kind of a scenario where you disagree and commit, you've still had the conversation. And I think that just breeds a really healthy environment for a sales team. You mentioned the the hunger side of it. How do you suss out hunger without getting into like, I want to make a hundred dollars a day or that? Like, what what are some questions you ask to to dig that out? Yeah, goal setting. I think uh, if you want to understand if somebody's hungry, ask them. Tell me about your you know your your goals for the next three to five years, um, because the people who have the most hunger are the ones who take time to to architect their life. You know, work is a massive piece of everybody's life. There's no such thing as work-life balance, right? It's work-life integration. I spend more time talking to people on my team than I do my son and wife, right? Like I'm here, I, do, I get two hours at the end of the day with my son before it's time to do the bedtime routine. I'm at work eight hours a day. There's no such thing as work-life balance. And I really believe like people who have that that drive to succeed at work it's typically because they have a bigger plan and a bigger design of what they want to accomplish in their lives. And um, just kind of talking to people and challenging them on their goals and what do they want to accomplish, you know, professionally, personally, you can, you can, un- you can start to see if there's a fire in that person or if they're just here to, yeah, I'm just here to, you know, it's work, it's cool, whatever. I'll do what you need me to do. Um, I think, I think having a discussion around their goals and kind of what matters most to them in life outside of work can really peel back the layers on that yeah i mean if i look at look at like your background running 15 ultra marathons tells me a lot about your goal setting and just what you want out of life and it's like if that didn't carry over to work it'd be a little weird to be honest yeah <laughs> yeah super lazy at work i just yeah like to run. lazy at work <laughs> running. Yeah. You make yeah, up yeah. for it yeah, you make yeah, yeah, yeah there you go there you go yeah, yeah. um nope. yeah go ahead right no, i was just say yeah I, th- I think that's great um the hunt, when I first thought about hungry, I was thinking, um, uh, I, I like the forward looking approach. A lot of times I've taken, and I've seen this in other interviews too, like more of a, a backward looking approach. Whereas like, you know, early in the conversation, you mentioned, you know, playing a sport in college, for example, right. Which, which shows like a commitment to both things, like, and, and a commitment to overcome some heart. And it doesn't have to be playing a sport in college. It can be you know, I had to pay for my own college and I didn't want debt or something. And so I waited tables, you know, 30 hours a week or, you know, you know, uh, what is, what, what has your drive to getting into stories of what has your drive 
uh, resulted in in your history where you can tell a story about how you, you know, did something that's not easy to get to where you want to go and then relate that to the future as well. Very similar, but I like the forward-looking approach um, that you described. Yeah, and, and the reason I like to take that approach more is because I feel like um, what I want to ensure is that that fire is not burnt out. You know, it's like you can learn a lot about somebody's past, hundred percent. But I think you can you can learn a lot about where where do they think where do they plan on going, like where do they envision that to look like? Because um, burnout's real. Fires die. You know, they get put out. And uh, I want to make sure somebody's stepping into the team that that has that spark and that that fire's still burning, and they're they got some motivation, and they're not looking to just say, "I'm ready to come to my next role and be complacent and." you know, just slide by and everything will be fine. Yeah. Let's get into like the brass tacks of the interview process. Like, what does that look like? I apply. I've done what? Yeah. So we have our, uh, we try to make it as painless as possible. Uh, It's it's not going to take 10 steps. It's not going to take 15 hours. Um, We, we really break it down into three steps Um, with the first step being a very brief, phone screen, you know, say you apply or maybe, you know, I have a really awesome team internally at Redgate of um, talent acquisition partners. So we have, you know, our team internally who goes out, help source contacts. I'm constantly kind of recruiting, building my bench through my my network and, you know, LinkedIn engagements and things like that. But, um, you know, it, it ultimately starts with a very quick conversation, which is, um, you know, let's just talk about the role. Uh, let's talk about what you as a candidate are looking for and 20 minutes max, you know, let's just see, is this something that we both agree makes sense to move forward with? Um, you know, if that aligns, then we'll move into the formal interview process, uh, which is just two steps. Um, the first step is a, um, an interview that encompasses a, a presentation aspect. So all of our sellers are provided with a prompt. And basically it's three hypothetical account scenarios. And we say, these are your account scenarios. Present your plan. What is your strategic vision? How would you handle this certain scenario? You don't have to know our solutions. We're not looking for you to talk about our technology or anything like that. Just keep it sales specific. What's what's your thought? Like this, we laid it out. You can pick one of the three and they're going to present it to me and typically either uh, another management uh, sales management peer or my director. And we get in uh, through the presentation and I'm a big believer in honesty and transparency. And so I do that at the beginning of the interviews. And if it completely misses the mark, I politely will, you know, end the interview there and give them the feedback if they're open to it, because I don't want to waste 30 more minutes of your time or my other management peer time uh, to get in some of the more Q and a aspect of an interview. Um, if we feel like you missed the mark, we'll let you know there and we'll, we'll give you time back in your day and, um, hopefully they respect that. Uh, but if the presentation goes well, then we move into the back half of that first interview where, you know, we get more of the general discussion, you know, what's your drivers, your motivators, your goals, let's talk about your experience, you know, some of the more, more standard things. And then I always leave a lot of time on the back end for them to ask me questions because I think it's super important that an interview is looked at as a two-way street. I don't want to be interviewing you to join my team. I also want you to be interviewing me to understand if 
it makes sense for you to join Redgate and for you to want to work with me as your hiring manager. Um, Cause I, I don't, it's, I think sometimes interviews can too much. It's me interviewing you. I have a job opening. You're going to be lucky if you can get this job. Um, I want it to be uh, transparent and yes, I have a job opening and I would love to have you join my team, but only if you think it makes sense for you as a candidate and that it aligns with your goals and what you think is best for your life and your family as well. Um, so we, I, I leave a lot of time on the back half of that first interview for that conversation as well. Um, if a candidate moves forward past that, then we have a second interview that is typically ran with a manager from maybe solution engineering or marketing. We try to make it more cross-functional and we call this our culture fit. So the first interview is, can you do the job? Does it make sense for you to do the job? The second one more is, do we believe you can do the job at Redgate and align with our values and how we operate as a company? Um, basically, it's the way we think about it is like, do are people going to want to work with you? And you know, one of our core values at Redgate is documented on our website is just don't be an asshole. It's one of our core values. So the whole second interview is it's kind of like the asshole test, you know. Do we feel like this person, because at the end of the day, I don't care what your numbers look like. If I get the sense that you are just going to be tough to work with and an asshole to your the rest of my team, take your revenue elsewhere. I just, I don't have time for it. So um, if they get through the culture, then it's an offer. You know, that's it. We do those two interviews. We're not looking to waste people's time. We're looking to make sure we get the right talent that that works for us and that we're a good fit for our candidates. But yeah, we try to keep it painless. The assessment's interesting. It sounds like, like, here's another sports analogy. It's like, oh, you hear that? You hear like, oh, this person's a soccer mind or they're a football mind. It's almost like you're looking for the sales mind. Absolutely. Regardless of like, it, like getting super brass tacks. It's like, how do you just think about an account or a deal or whatever? Yeah. And we're looking for the strategic mindset. You know, we want somebody who's not just saying, yeah, well, I guess I'll pick up the phone and I'll call the end user 200 times and see what else I can help them with. Like, it's not the type of selling we do here. Um, I'm looking, oh, you know, we've researched. I found this company initiative. I saw their CTO say, this is their digital transformation. So I can go this route and I can do this and I can pull in this resource. You know, I'm, we're looking for that strategic mindset of somebody who understands what it takes to sell at a more senior level. Yeah. The, the, um, the so first of all, I love the fact that it's really, kind of intro and then two core steps and then an offer. So that's amazing. Um, I think a lot of times companies have seven or eight steps and what it really means yeah. is they ask the same set of questions four different ways and then they have four different people ask the same set of questions two different <laughs> ways. Um, and, but on on that, so on that front, on the second step, the kind of the culture interview, you mentioned there'll maybe other folks involved, like a sales engineer, people they'll work with, right? Is there a standard? Do you do you all have kind of a, a menu of questions that they'll ask in that, or or is it more informal, get to know you sort of thing, or how how does that how does that it's, work? It's a little more informal. Um, so, for instance, before we went fully remote with uh, you know lockdown, I used to. Um, we used to have this little uh, coffee shop and cafe called our churros uh, right around the corner from our office in downtown. And um, I used to run a lot of these second interviews when it comes to like marketing. And a lot of times I would take them to the coffee shop for the second interview. And we would just sit down with a cup of coffee and, you know, maybe even breakfast tacos for an hour. 
and you know sitting down face to face and over coffee and tacos it's you're going to know if those questions are pre-scripted and forced um for me it's always about you know if there's some potential say a red flag in the first interview where i may say as a hiring manager i really like this 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 candidate i think she's going to be really well um skills wise but I don't know. I'm getting a sense that maybe this one thing I'm, I would tell the person in the second one and say, Hey, can you just dig into that for me? Um, however you feel, you know, right. You don't have to pull some canned questions out, but you just kind of check me on that one. Maybe I just misread something or, you know, so um, we, we do have these kind of pre-scripted questions that are guiding policies from our people team. Um, but I can tell you when we step into interviews, I'm not, I don't have a list of questions in front of me. Um, I, I want to have a casual conversation. I don't want it to come off as a Q&A. Like you're not going to get to know somebody very well in a Q&A, um, at least not as well as you could from, from a casual casual chat of let's just talk, let's get to know each other and let's see if at the end of it, it makes sense for us to move forward. Right. Very Sandler of you. It's very yeah. Sandler. It's I'm ready to come work for Redgate. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> breakfast tacos. Well, I'm hiring, Ryan. I'm hiring. Yeah. <laughs> if this gig doesn't work <laughs> out, if this gig doesn't work out, I'm gonna call you. I don't know. I think, I think you may be doing all right. <laughs> it's also a really good Indian place over by Arturo's Clay Pit. That's delicious. Oh, Clay Pit. Yeah. We used to go there all the time. Spot. It was a great. Yeah, we were right there on the corner, of 15th in Guadalupe. That was where yeah. our office used to be. Do you um do you use that coffee and breakfast taco meeting as like a way to suss out if somebody's an asshole, like the way they treat, or did you as like a way to how they treat this, whoever they're serving them or, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And somebody who worked service industry when they were younger, I have very little patience of people who disrespect servers. Um, I think you go have dinner with somebody. Um, yeah. It says a lot about them, the way they'll treat their wait staff. <laughs> yep. Hundred percent. Yep, it's good character testing. Um, yeah. Who's somebody that, or not who, but what's an example yeah. of somebody that you thought was great that didn't end up getting the job? Yeah, I think. So now that we talk about like our interview process. You know, there's there have been times where you know somebody just they kill that first interview. They present so well, like oh, they know strategic selling, they know this, but just in the way they carry themselves and sometimes the level of arrogance that can come with elite sellers is just, I can say, you can check every box in terms of skills and do you know how to do this job? I could give you a full ramp quote of day one and you'd probably come in and figure it out and get the job done. But man, if you don't, if I get the sense that you are not going to vibe with this team and the way we operate at Redgate, like, like I said before, I just, I'll, I'll pass hard pass. It's not there. Um, and it sucks, right? It sucks. Cause you could see like that person would be a killer rep, but I just don't think, think they'd be a killer rep at Redgate. I think it would cause more friction than it's worth. Um, so there's always those, right. And, uh, cause yeah, you know, you can be the best at your job, but at the end of the day, if you're an asshole, like I just, I don't want it it's going to be more of a headache for me in the long run than hitting my number. I just, I've, I've seen it. I've had, you know, bad hires that snuck through in the past. The opportunity cost of that is, it's way bigger than the revenue. Yeah. Brian, you look like you were going to say something. 
No, just agree. Uh, yeah, no, just agreeing. Send them to Oracle. Be done with it. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, Oracle is one of our top clients. Just kidding. Um, yeah. What, um, what, well, have you ever been overridden there? Have you ever had somebody above you go like, yeah, like we want this person because we know they're going to close revenue and we'll, you, we'll deal with it. Like, have you ever had one of those? No. That's good. No, no. It's more the opposite. Where I'm yeah. like, do you think we should take a risk on this person? They're like, nah, <laughs> like yeah. it's not worth it. We know what happens. Yeah. You know, six months, they're gone. We just lost six months of ramping someone else who's who, who could be here long-term. You know, the opportunity cost of attrition is, it's it's insane when you break down the numbers. It's it's just not worth it. We have a calculator that we that we built out that has that built into it and it's it's the light it goes as far as the lifetime value of customers like if you've got a customer for yeah. five years and you factor in attrition it's it gets crazy yep it's wild yep um in the essence of time uh without arturos how do you keep the team connected yeah yeah you know this is uh so this is a little bit of an interesting one for me specifically because you know my team is um like we we go by you know flexible hybrid is what we're calling it uh right where we we don't have a permanent office space in Austin anymore um we're in the the uh the process of securing a new Austin permanent office which will be our new Amer headquarters for Redgate um but my team has reps in California, Colorado, Texas, London so Keeping the team connected, this isn't something where I can just say, hey, does everybody want to get together for lunch on Friday? Um, that's not possible. Um, the whole virtual lunch, happy hour, coffee things, that that got burnt out so fast in 2020. Nobody, nobody cares. Nobody cares to do that anymore. So yeah. it's, you know, honestly, full transparency, it's something I'm still trying to figure out two years later. Um, I don't think it's something that it that anybody's mastered necessarily. Um, but but we're doing our best. Um, in ways that we do that is at least once a quarter, I'm flying everybody together. Um, and we are doing something together. Uh, you know, typically it could be around QBR. So we have a day or two of your enterprise function QBR. But you know, one fun thing that I started doing with my team is I would say, okay, like this is this is our team quota. Uh, I'm gonna put a 20% increase on that. Because, you know, hitting 100% as a team is cool. Um, 120% is a lot cooler. So if we do 120% of quota, we'll fly everybody together. And I personally, out of my pocket, will take us to a, a, a steak dinner somewhere extremely nice. You know, we just did Maestro's in mm -hmm. Beverly Hills a few weeks ago as a team. And, you know, that is a team of, you know, eight, nine people. It, my wife isn't always thrilled with the dinner bill that I personally float at the end of the day. Like a three thousand dollar dinner. It's a, it's yeah, you know, yeah. If I'm lucky, um, yeah. but it's uh, it's something that I think, you know, the team appreciates, and you know, there's you know, there's few things that can can bond people like a meal. You know what I mean? You sit around a dinner table for four hours, it's your team cohesity is gonna shoot through the roof after that dinner. Um, so, you know, I, I do things like that. Um, uh, you know, I try to bring the team together on QBR and, Hey, let's block out a few hours to talk about, you know, team strategy. Let's get, let's run a SWOT analysis on our team of what happened in the last quarter. I try to get people, um, to engage, try to, try to not just make them feel like it's just a number, um, but their input matters. 
into the way I guide this team and stretch this team. So, you know, we try to do different things like that to build that healthy culture and get them to feel connected. And obviously there's the, yeah, we use Slack and we do this and that, you know, that's, that's just business as usual for most companies these days. Yeah. Agreed. It is tough. It is tough. Um, Where, where do you, like you said, it's still, it's still tough to do it. Beyond that, beyond the the dinner and all that, I mean, out of your own pockets, obviously huge. I think if people like, I'm assuming the team knows that you're talking about it publicly. Like it's, it sounds like yeah, I'd let them know. They're like, ah, you're expensing this. I was like, fuck, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What are some other things you guys have done beyond that? Has there been like, I've seen like magicians come in over Zoom. I've seen like sangria making, anything like that, or no? Like the Zoom stuff, uh, is, it's tired. Yeah, we again, we did that in the past where we would do different, um, you know, and this would be larger, like our entire, you know, AMER team. So all the sales team, marketing, engineering, we would do like monthly trivia, you know, where "Eh, grab your favorite cocktail, we'll do online trivia together. And the team that wins gets, you know, $500 um, to pick a charity and we'll donate to a charity. You know, we've done things like that. Different groups have done various things of, yeah, online cocktail making or online yeah. cooking classes as a group, things like that. Um, you know, and and so we've we've explored those sorts of things. We've done those in the past. Uh, but you know, over the last six months to a year, we've just gotten back to, hey, let's just get in person and let's do some work stuff. But then, then after, yeah, let's go throw axes. You know, let's go taking one team. You know, we went, let's go do this really cool putt-putt course, you know, the Peter Pan putt-putt. In Austin, yep. you know, we'll go there and bring a six pack if you want. It's BYOB, whatever. And, you know, we just kind of hang out and just try to find different ways to connect and keep it more casual. Cause the thing that I feel like that happened was by 2021, it just all felt so forced that like you were just, you were, you felt like you needed to be there, but nobody wanted to be on Zoom again. And so we, we've luckily kind of gone back to just how do we make it fun to be in person again? Yeah. Yeah. Make sales fun again. Make sales fun again. Yep. Awesome. Last question. We ask this to everybody that comes on. Have, have you or would you show CRM quote attainment dashboard to a candidate? A hundred percent. You know, if if I have a candidate that doesn't ask me about that, I question if they're the right person for my team. I expect somebody to say, show me the performance of your team. I also asked, expect them to ask, and they don't always do. And we've had some good ones who didn't ask this. Um, but can I talk to you? Let me talk to your top performing rep. And let me test you. because I want to make sure you're not bullshitting me, right? You're the hiring manager. You could be bullshitting me. Let me talk to your best rep. Let me talk to one of your underperforming reps. I want to talk to somebody who's struggling, and I want to know how you support them. I want to talk to your top rep, and I want to understand how you support them. Um, I, I fully expect that. And I think as a manager, you can't, you gotta be willing to, to open up and show them that, like, cause if not, they're going to get there and be like, this team is not as good as this guy told me in the interview process. Um, I think transparency has got to go both ways on those things. Yeah. It's part of why we exist. Actually, that's a one. That's exactly why you exist. <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you had a candidate bring up rep you in an interview? Um, I have not had a candidate bring up rep view in an interview. I have had some potential candidates reach out to a peer of mine on the management team who said, um, 
hey, uh, I they they both went to Baylor. So he messaged him and said, hey, see you're a Baylor alumni too. I saw the Redgate RepView rating. I'm going to be going into the market pretty soon. I'd love to talk to you guys. So uh, we have had RepView come into play recently in terms of helping us as an organization. So yeah, th thank you. <laughs> yeah, was wondering if that had sparked like the CRM conversation. Because I mean, yeah. it's almost, I almost wondered like, because we hear it, it's like, hey, I saw your scores are on RepView or X. How does that yeah. translate to real life? And then right. into a deeper conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Dustin. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great talking to you both. I appreciate uh, having me on. And again, we're uh, we're big fans of RepView over here. I I love the platform um, ever since y'all launched it, even before we partnered with you guys. And I just think it's such a valuable resource to the sales community. So yeah, just thanks for the work y'all are putting in. Thanks so much. Likewise. All right. We appreciate you all. Cool.